0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. My name is Teresa, and I have the great joy of serving as what's called district superintendent, which means that I get to relate to wonderful churches like Bee Creek United Methodist Church in the Austin area. And when Pastor Laura and Greg asked me um, to preach this Sunday... Perhaps the, the biggest reason that I wanted to say was yes was so that I could stand right here and say to all of you a big thank you for all that you do on behalf of Christ in the world. I'm so very grateful for vital congregations like Bee Creek United Methodist Church and, and all that you do, not just the ministries within the church and in the community, but throughout the world through your apportioned giving. I thank you so much for your faithfulness. In our um, denomination, the United Methodist Church, we're kind of grouped into geographical areas, and, and our area is called the Rio-Texas Conference, and one of the key initiatives for our conference is to reach new people for Jesus Christ. And again, I'm grateful for the ways that you as a congregation are stretching yourselves and taking on the, those challenges, for example, by... Um, considering a satellite worship service down the road where you will reach people that aren't here yet. And that's a wonderful thing because it's true that sometimes our churches um, turn inward and we begin caring so much about what's going on inside of the building that we forget that there are people that are not yet aware of God's good news. So I am keeping you and your leaders in prayer as you consider that vision and as it comes to fruition I also keep you in prayer as you have a building program underway. Does anybody around here know anything about that, right? You got the building? <laughs> and they're very well aware, a lot of building. Um, in fact, I was on your website a few weeks ago, and I noticed that even the sermons were all about building, building, building. And again, grateful for the ways that that building will enhance not just the ministries here within your congregation, but I believe that it will also provide yet another way for you as a church to connect with people in the wider community. And so my prayers are with you as that building gets built. So playing along with the theme of buildings, um, today I want to talk just a little bit about building relationships, building relationships. And um, to do that, I'm, I'm thinking even just of the, the image of the cross. Um, we're in this season leading up to Easter, where before we get to the good news of the resurrection, we remember the bad news, that Jesus died a painful death on the cross. And a Christian scholar once said that the cross, the very symbol of a cross, reminds us that God is all about relationships. Relationships. And here's how he would explain it. He said, that vertical beam, the up and down, reminds us of our relationship with God. And then the horizontal beam stretching out reminds us of our relationship with one another. Not just here in our Bee Creek Church family, but in the wider world, we are called to extend God's love to all. So we're going to be looking at um, building relationships a little bit today. And of course, we, we ultimately remember that the cross is also a symbol of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ where he gives up himself to death so that we can be freed, even here and now, from the chains of sin and death. So I invite you to be in prayer with me. Let's pray. God of love, we're grateful for the gift of this beautiful day, for your presence here with us. We give you thanks, O God, for your holy and living word. Its meaning in our lives today and always. And we ask, O God, in these moments now, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of your hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and salvation. Amen. So I want to share with you a few verses from Matthew's Gospel, but before we get to the words, I'm just setting up a bit of context. So 16th chapter of Matthew, and by this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is very well aware of the path that he is on. In other words, he knows by now that the powers that be in this world, mainly religious authority, um, they're out to get him, to put an end to his, his message of unconditional love and radical justice. They want to put an end to it, and Jesus knows this. He knows that the path that he is on will ultimately lead to his death, and not just any death, but death on a cross. And it will be unimaginably painful, and there will be suffering. Now, Jesus knows this, and so he begins to share this with his disciples. He wants to prepare them and to let his disciples, his closest followers and friends, he wants them to know that this is going to be happening to him. And as you can imagine, the disciples are not so happy to hear this news. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They don't want to hear about it. In fact, Peter, Peter's the disciple who says, Lord, forbid it, this should never happen to you. And you might recall those infamous words in the New Testament where Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan. And so it's in this context that we pick up these few verses from chapter 16. The gospel says Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? So Jesus, Jesus reminds us that he's on this road. And I believe that these very few sentences in the Gospel of Matthew, just a few words that I've read, but they, they contain and embody an abundance of life lessons, so many lessons on faith in these few verses. One of the most important lessons I feel like was written for people like me who try to do good and are good rule followers. Are there any today that would confess that they're the rule followers? like you do things the right way. And, you know, I, I often, I still am in recovery from this assumption that if I, if I do the right thing, if I do good, if I follow the rules, then all will be right in my life. And yet Jesus, Jesus' own life and living reminds us that as good as we feel like we are, as much as we might follow the rules, that does not protect us from the pain and suffering of this world. I mean, think about it. Jesus was as good as they get, and yet pain and suffering came to him. And so part of the the lesson for me today is, is remembering that a life of faith, a life following Jesus, is not about protection from the harm of this world, from the evils that are around us. Instead, it's remembering that Jesus is with us always, throughout the ups and downs of life, our joys and sorrows. You remember Psalm 23 reads, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus is with me. Sometimes I think it should have read, If Jesus is with me, then there's no valley of the shadow of death. But that's not how the Bible reads. I was sharing at the 815 service that um, I grew up in a really small town near Corpus Christi. And I was raised in a United Methodist home, a Protestant Household, And I, I had always seen an empty cross, whether at the church house or in my home. I just always embraced the, the symbol of the empty cross as a sign of my faith that Jesus has been risen from the dead. And that's still a core, a core piece of my, um, my faith formation. But growing up in South Texas, I was surrounded by friends and people in the community who were Roman Catholic who had a different cross, and their cross had a crucifix on it. In fact, looking here at all the crosses on the back of the sanctuary, I see lots of empty crosses, but, but I see a couple of crucifixes where Jesus is on the cross. And you know, I used to pride myself as a teenager for having the empty cross, Until one of my friends who was Catholic told me, you know, when I've gone through a hard time and I look at the cross, I see that Jesus is there with me. When I look at the empty cross, sometimes I wonder where Jesus is. But looking at the crucified Lord, I remember that not only is Jesus with me in my own suffering, but Jesus himself has walked a road of suffering. Here's another thing about these verses and the, and the way that they teach us about relationships. Kind of switching gears, but when it comes to our relationship with one another in the body of Christ in the church, we are often called to self-denial for the greater good. Um, I I remember being here in worship with you last week when Trent was preaching, and he was talking about the new building, and he even said things about how wonderful it's going to be, but, you know, we may not always get our way. We might not all like the color of the paint, for example. I remember specifically he talked about that. And in these little ways, we as a body, we we are called to self-denial for the greater good. It's a key part of being in relationship. And I'm sure you've experienced that, whether it's in the community of your family, the people you live with, or the people you work with, or the people that you are in church with. One of the key messages from Jesus is is for us to lead a life of denying our own wishes for the sake of the greater good and being in this work together. That that concept is so countercultural. We live in a society that's all about me and what I want, but Jesus calls us to a different way. So when we think about building relationships, um, one, of the, one of the things um, I think about is, is building Legos, right? That's, that's my world because I'm surrounded by Legos. I didn't tell you at the beginning of the sermon that if you hang with me, you actually might learn a few pieces of trivia about Legos. Or after, like, after the early service, I thought I was sharing some pieces of trivia about Lego, but there were a few children there that came up to me afterwards and said, did you know such and such? So I learned some things too. But um, just a show of hands, like, like are there any people here that, that live in a house that has Legos in them? It's like a little mix. Some of you may not. Well, um, part of what I I need to do today is confess my embarrassment about the number of Legos in my own house. (laughs) And you guys, I just have one kid, a six-year-old, but it is embarrassing the number of Legos that are in that house. Um, So uh, just an example, it was January, which means that it was like a few weeks after Christmas had already happened, right? And my daughter got... Christmas presents from people, and some of them were Legos, but it's January, and I needed to email her teacher about something, and her teacher emailed me back and said, by the way, the children are in the middle of their freestyle writing in their journals, and she's writing um, a Christmas list list to Santa, like it's January, right? (laughs) And she's working on her Christmas list, like, for 12 months from now. Anyway, and the teacher said, and she asked me how, she asked me, she said, Miss Reed, how do you spell obsessed? (laughs) And I said, she must be writing a list about Legos, of course. So again, embarrassed about the number of Legos, but if you know anything about Legos, and some of you that don't even have Legos around may have seen the Lego movie, if you know about Legos, there are two types of people in the world. One type of person, upon getting a new Lego set, Takes out the instruction booklet and meticulously follows the instructions to AT. Now, I follow, I, I fall into that camp because remember, I'm a recovering rule follower, right? And in the midst of my chaotic life, like sometimes just putting together a Lego set, I'm like, look, there, see, I accomplished something, right? Like, ta da, done. Now, the second type of person, Well, first of all, is there anybody out there with me? Can I get an amen? Like, am I alone? Okay, because then the second type of person, upon getting Legos, they're like, to heck with the instructions, right? And they, they in their creation, come up with their own thing. Like, better yet, just like put a whole bunch of different kinds of things together, and um, you make your own creation. So my daughter falls into that category. And on any given day, this is how just a section of our coffee table looks. Like, our coffee table's been hijacked by the Legos. And, like, if you look up here, that, this is all her doing. Like, that, I just realized, that's, like, one of the little Lego girls, but it has a Chewbacca, like, head on it. And then it always looks like a crime scene, because there's always body parts down here that are headless and everything. But she's just, like, into making her own thing, and it makes me crazy. Like, it drives me crazy. So here's my other Lego trivia that I learned about. So the Lego company started in Denmark. That's where it's based. And there are two words in Danish that form the word Lego. That's where it comes from. And these are the only two words I know in Danish. But the word Lego comes from the combination of words leg goat. Leg goat, which means play well. Some of you may know Danish already, so you may have already known that. But play well. And I feel like this is like a good reminder for me and my relationship with my daughter to like try to play well together in the midst of our differences. But that really applies to us in the body of Christ as well, or any relationships that we're a part of. To play well and to, to spend time together. So... As a rule follower, as a rule follower, I'm st- I am still feel like I'm in this recovery of assuming that there's a certain way that things are supposed to go. And I'm actually not talking about Legos at this point. As a rule follower, I'm still in recovery from thinking that my life should be a certain way or that it should unfold a certain way or that church should be a certain way. If you're like me, sometimes you have this perfect vision of how it should all come together, but then it's like the Holy Spirit comes along and says, "Mm mm-mm, we're going that way. And that's really hard for people like me. But a life of faith is surrendering and letting Jesus be in charge, letting Jesus be the author of our salvation. I'm going to look back just again to the Bible verse from Matthew chapter 16, but this time I'm going to read it from a different translation. This is... Eugene Peterson's translation in the message. And he often has a much more blunt, for lack of a better word, way of approaching the scriptures. And hear how he puts it. The Bible says, Jesus went to work on the disciples. <laughs> Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You are not in the driver's seat. I am. So don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help Is no help at all. Follow me. Self sacrifice is the way. So Jesus is reminding us, Jesus is reminding us that in spite of the choices we make, in spite of our trying to follow the rules, in spite of our trying to do good, Jesus is ultimately the leader. Some of you may have remembered a bumper sticker. I still see them around, but years ago they were particularly. prolific. I just saw this bumper sticker everywhere, and I think we have an image of it. It's Jesus is my co-pilot. I saw those everywhere, and then I read the Matthew chapter 16 verses, and I'm like, you know, that really doesn't fit, because there's really no co in the leading in the Bible. No, Jesus is my pilot. Jesus is the one in the driver's seat, and we are the ones following. We are the ones trying to have this life of faith and surrendering to the way that Jesus wants us to go. So following Jesus, following Jesus doesn't mean, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that following Jesus meant that you would never have pain and suffering, but likely you've lived life long enough to know that following Jesus doesn't mean that you will always be protected from pain and suffering, but it does mean that Jesus will be with you all the way. And following Jesus doesn't mean that we will always get our own way, that we can, you know, tell Jesus how we want our life to turn out. Because no, the proper relationship is for us to let Jesus lead and for us to follow it was um, weeks ago, back in December, that um, I had had one of those days. Um, you've all had those days. It was just one of those really long, stressful days. And by the time I had gotten home, my husband and daughter were in bed, but they had left the living room light on. And as I walked by the coffee table that, again, has been hijacked by all the Legos, I came across this image. And my my daughter had made that, and there was no Lego set that told her how to do this. But we were in the midst of Advent, and she had the nativity on her brain and in her heart for a long time. And she had put this together. And I thought to myself, you know, this is how God is, showing up in unexpected ways and unexpected places at unexpected times to tell us that he's in charge and that all is going to be okay in the midst of the mess of life. All will be well. So I think about this Lord, this Savior of ours, who suffered on a cross. And I think of this God who came to share a message of love with us as a vulnerable tiny baby full of his own needs. In the midst of life, in the midst of the fullness of life, this is the type of a Savior in God that I can believe in. Praise be to God. Amen.